suddenly you find your, your explosions, it's not there anymore. You're not mm. jumping. No. So in order to say, stay safe, you've got to still retain the muscle function mm. without the access to the explosiveness. Thinking, oh, right, right, this is a little bit of a problem. It's going to interfere with uh, waking up tomorrow. Let's uh, make sure we do by uh, mm. doing something about it. And it's appreciating some truths. And the truth is, as you get older, you become more reliant on training, more reliant on preparation, and you get a lot less return for it. So <laughs> you've got to do more for less. But you can carry on doing what you want to do. When I want to do something, I can do it because... Because um, you train for it, yeah. essentially. Hello and welcome. It's lovely to be here today with, guess who? My dad. <laughs> so anybody who's listened to me talk before about my history of moving and exercise will know that uh, my dad had quite a lot to do with it. And so I thought I'd bring him along to talk about, um, you know, his journey through sport and exercise. And uh, it's quite a long one because you're what now, 74? So, yeah. <laughs> so hello, how are you today? Very well. Good. Had a nice walk. Yeah. Done with stretching. Yeah. So, yeah, we did that together and uh, yesterday as well. And you know what intrigued me was the fact that you have um, finally, after all these years of me suggesting that, uh, you know, various um, holistic approaches to exercise might benefit you, you finally have grasped the nettle and really taken it and run with it, haven't you? Yeah, my prehistory in, in exercise has all been dynamic. So everything I did was dynamic. And the, to, to sort of look at a more passive aspect was, was in my opinion, at that stage, giving up. <laughs> Very competitive. <laughs> so there is an element of giving up. There's an element of accepting that um, as I'm doing less and less, it's because I'm less and less flexible. And, and one of the recent uh, indicators is uh, we have a boat and it's the ability to move about on deck when the deck's moving about. <laughs> and I'm finding I'm holding on more than uh, moving about. So oh. uh, fundamental to that, I thought, was uh, the ability to balance and the ability to stretch and flex and, uh, and move from place to place rather than getting frozen. I can't jump from place to place mm. anymore. And that, I think the acceptance of that has said, okay, there's got to be something else that can contribute because I don't intend giving up on it. And I do intend to be safe out there. I've got Lauren and my wife out there with me. Um, I am totally responsible. If it hits the fan, then I've got to go on deck and I've got to sort it out and I've got to be safe. Mm -hmm. You don't want to fall off and leave somebody behind who doesn't really Can't know what sail. they're doing. <laughs> Yeah. So you got that <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're, she could probably help, but I don't know that she's she a sailor. Can, she can turn the engine on. That's oh. uh, that's the the fail safe. The engine doesn't turn on. We're both in serious trouble. Both, yeah. But uh, that that's that's the that was the driver. That's a fundamental lot to uh, mm. lifestyle at the moment revolves around the fact that we sail on a regular basis. That's our activity, winter and summer, and. Uh, 
to hang on to it as long as possible. Yeah, I suppose that's, you know, what we talk about a lot in fitness is uh, functional sort of approaches mm -hmm. to, to training. And so that's exactly what you're talking about there, isn't it? Getting fit, being fit enough to do the functional activities that you do in your, in your daily life. And for you lately, that has been um, embracing the sailing. Yes. But let's take you back a bit because, um, you know, uh, I was probably too young to remember why or how it came about that you you did embrace this in your life because it wasn't always part of your life as a youth, was it? It wasn't something, what as was a, it? As a youth, I was a farm boy. Yeah. And I took a, a, a position in the prison service as a farm, farm worker, a farm instructor, ultimately farm manager. But... Uh, that brought me in contact, it was at a detention centre, and that brought me in contact with the fact that these boys were exercised every day. Oh, the, um, the detainees. The detainees oh, had, okay. to be, had to have a daily exercise regime. So that was built into the lifestyle, and it fascinated me because being a farm boy, I was fit, I was strong. Running-wise, I was as fast as any of them that had been training, and uh, it was a whole area of fascination with the physical being hmm. because the, the, these guys were the place was populated by instructors some of the instructors had their own uh reason for they had their own sport their own speciality and they recruited so i was a fit individual i was recruited into the running business and the gym and the weightlifting and and uh, was that in your spare time at work. Oh yeah, that that was in the spare time. Yeah, first and foremost, I was mm. a, a farm instructor. Mm. So that I mean, this is the thing with certainly in the forces. Uh, I know to be the case that you know those who are in the uh, fitness instructing side of things, you know, do embrace mm. that then in their own time in the spare time. So right. So that was the case that you were then using the facilities oh, yeah. at work to do your own personal training with uh, with your work colleagues. That's right. Yeah. And that so so it was that one of the people that you worked with was a keen runner, was it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you started then getting into. Well, he adopted uh, me and decided to coach me, and uh, <laughs> he adopted you. <laughs> yeah, oh, did he really he? did. Well, you yeah. know, I mean, this is the thing we do know is having a training partner really does hold you to your your uh, your routine, doesn't it? And, I, absolutely. And yeah. especially weightlifting, you need somebody to be your, um, what do you call it? Spotter. Is oh, yeah, right? you need spotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need a spotter, if you, especially if you're lifting heavy weights. So that means, you know, having another person around. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so you were training together, weightlifting, running and... Each, each of the instructors that I was sort of working opposite mm. had their own speciality. So mm. we had a national powerlifting coach. Mm. We had an international athlete. Wow. We had a, a judo bronze medalist from the last Olympic, that, that particular Olympic Games. These, these, and they're all selling their speciality. And I'm a wide-eyed farm boy. Absolutely fascinated by it. Didn't know there was anything other than farming. Yeah, that well, or work, really. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting, isn't it, that they'd found the way from sport into a job where they could then continue with the sport as PT instructors. That's yeah. right, yeah. Mm. yeah. So, but then, of course, you, you embraced it and, uh, and it continued 
well then for, for the rest of your uh, your career but you uh, you developed an interest in passing on your knowledge then that you'd acquired to other people you, you get to a certain point the, the coincidence of of children growing up and, and needing uh information from parents and management from parents in into the passing on a hobby shall we say mm. it, it uh, served me very well to have a hobby um and the children obviously get drawn into the same hobby if it's only watching you do it uh, and then participating mm. and uh, you go about acquiring the knowledge then to pass on appreciating the fact that I wasn't an international athlete and I would never be an international athlete. But <laughs> I, I worked hard and, and if you apply yourself seven days a week to your hobby, you can be quite good at it. So I got satisfactorily uh, good at uh, competing and then children follow and, uh, and, and join in and you want the best. They're not limited by... Um, the lack of knowledge because you 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 know so you've got to pass it on to the kids mm. and if they take it on board um it helps them uh develop in in an aspect other than their education it's it's an extra education extracurricular oh yeah that's right uh, and the philosophy at the time I had two concurrent philosophies to develop children in in your own home and one was music and the other was sport something that we could do at home to add to the educational side of it, their own personal intellect. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and that was very uh, quite forward thinking, wasn't it really? Bearing in mind our socioeconomic uh, heritage. Yeah, that's that's the one. Mm. Um, you've got to look at what you can afford to do and uh, mm. Being a poorly paid uh, civil servant at the time didn't leave a great deal of scope no. for paying for coaches and lessons. And oh, right. So, so, you, so you become the coach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, so you developed quite a skill for it, though, didn't you, eventually, with some, some career success, albeit unpaid, as far as I recall. I was very fortunate in that off the end of involving family, Family also involved friends, and some of the friends that came along were extremely talented. And they weren't being looked after properly, but they were talented enough to be uh, international international juniors. When you said they weren't being looked after, I think you mean at, at the club with the, with coaching, the coaching team. That the coaching system. Not the parents, is it? Was, was, <laughs> the coaching system was poor. Oh, was it? Um, yeah. And it was limited to... Uh, the lowest common denominator in the group. Um, and I turned it around to my, my group to be an exclusive group. In other words, if you weren't quick enough, you're excluded. Yeah, but that, that was kind of, um, you know, you volunteered your time, you gave up oh, your yeah. time, and you, in, you had kind of invented a group that was uh, an, an elite group. That wasn't yeah. exclusive. You know, the, it's like... Um, you know, it's like a selective school has exams so that you get into right. it. So you just had to be um, of a standard, really, to be partaking. It wasn't that you were elitist as such. It's just no, that, no, no. you know, you were you were working with that. And they have that now in schools, don't they? You know, the um, the uh, 
uh, high high achieving academic because you know like you say when you're working with a broad range of abilities it's difficult to cater for everybody absolutely yeah and so you kind of took a group of children that were talented that you you could see this talent and uh, offered your services to work and train with them that's right and uh, and it really um, you know it, there's so much of of grassroots sports relies on people's good nature to give up the time so. to volunteer the time yeah and uh, you know for the most part you're doing what you love so you you don't uh, in any way uh, be uh, you, you know you don't mind doing that do you no it it becomes a, an academic exercise something that you think about all day and all night something <laughs> in, in so the, that would for you i don't know about everybody but yeah think all day and all night yeah uh, yeah bordering on obsession yeah yeah well you know and and that's it isn't it because <clears throat> to get to those uh heady levels you, you really do have to commit and apply um apply yourself to it that's don't right. you so uh, so on their behalf you were really getting involved in um you know different training techniques and uh and you know i'm I'd, you were self-taught i don't know where did you pick up all that information i read because there was no internet <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't but there, there were quite a lot of academic papers kicking about that, oh. that that indicated the the athletic chemistry that was required or what you were actually trying to develop mm. um so we took the standards, the international standards, the English school standards for the event and created training sessions to achieve those standards mm. rather than taking what the individual can do and trying to make mm. the best of that. Yeah, so you were working backwards really, weren't yeah. you, from, from what you wanted to achieve. That's right. Wow, yeah. So, and, and then it actually worked, didn't it? Well, yeah, <laughs> you're eventually, you find a point at which you've developed a model you start to do the same thing on a regular basis and you start to see results from it. Mm. And, and therein lies a model for uh, a particular event mm. apply, applied in the middle distances to two or three events going from 10,000 down to 400 metres. Um, and modelling the event then gave you the training sessions for the next generation to come and join in. So we had an initial model that was run by the boys who trained, the, chap, the people who trained with their own family, and they developed it and succeeded with it. They invited along people of a similar or, or better standard than themselves, and the model was developed to a point where it became an Olympic standard. Mm. Well, that's right. So um, I know that I am connected with somebody here on LinkedIn who knows who knows you actually, and I've t I wish I should have looked up her name because I've totally <laughs> forgotten. But she uh, she said, "Oh yeah, Dave Grindley, I remember him." And uh, oh, was that your dad? You know, sort of thing. So um, she was an athlete who used to travel over from ooh somewhere else. No, it was. I don't think it was Clitheroe. It was Leeds way on. Or, oh right, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, well, <clears throat> maybe I'll remember at some point. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, you know, you were a bit of a legend in your own lifetime there, weren't you? 
again, that's that's the payback for the obsession. The, the, the weakness in the character is is the fact that you're obsessed and you don't see the rest of the world around you. Uh, and the strength of it is that you <clears throat> people start to come to you and, and genuinely ask for advice and mm. and you have a major influence on their life, which is the ultimate privilege. Did you ever, yeah, well, that, that is. Did you ever uh, partake in any formal training at all in, in this discipline? I had to, at different stages, qualify oh. as a coach. Oh, yeah, okay. And it was always retrospective stuff that I knew already. I, I always felt that you had to sit down and take exams, and, mm. and I, I already knew all that. Mm. I was taking basic exams for coaching and coaching at Olympic standard at the same time. Oh, right. Yeah, that would be a bit uh, tedious, I imagine. Hence the, the fraud syndrome where you feel like you, you're a fraud in the business because you, you don't really – do you really know all that or are you just making it up as you go along? And I was making it up as I go along and getting away with it. But. Yeah, but you were intellectualising and hypothesising, weren't you? And Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think it, they call it imposter syndrome That's nowadays. That's the one, yeah, yeah. yeah. So – yeah, so you quite, had a big dose of quite that. Quite common, massive dose of that. Yeah. Do you actually know what you're talking about? Well, no, but if you pose me the problem, I'll probably solve it. Yeah. I mean, I think athletics, you know, back then was very amateur, wasn't it? There was little in the way of money for of athletes or, or anybody. Yeah, there was no full-time professional. It was what you did in the evening. What year was this when uh, David won that? 92. The 92 the, Olympics. The, the peak of the athletics side of it mm. was 92 with David breaking the British record at the Barcelona Olympics. Right. For the... For, for 400 four. metres. Oh, 400 metres. Yeah. Mm. Run 44, 3, I think. <laughs> you sound you'd know the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that stuff stays with you, doesn't it? So I don't suppose you could go and there'd be no Skyping or anything, would there? Did he ring you to tell Oh, we watched it on the TV. Oh, of course you did, yeah. yeah I suppose there was yeah. still television. Got a bunch of the athletes together and watched it on TV. <laughs> oh, did you all together? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Oh, well, I mean, what a pinnacle of achievement. But then, of course, you, you, um, you did a sidestep then into professional sport when you you all of a sudden you're in the public eye and you're in the public eye in, in a, a a sport town, Wigan, mm. um, and a lot of the training that I was doing was parallel with uh, the guy coaching the Wigan rugby team for sprints. Oh, is that who that was coming right? up to retirement? Oh, was he? Now? And said this would be all right for you. Oh. Uh, what he didn't know was that I already had part of the squad in Sean Edwards mm. uh, participating with with the athletes, with joining in the athletes' sessions no. as a 16, 17-year-old. Oh, was he? Yeah. So when it came to the chairman looking for a coach to to look after the athletic side of it, the sprint side of it, I was the number one fellow in town to take over oh. from Bill Hartley, who the international hurdler. Oh, is that who well, the old coach Bill, was? Bill Hartley was oh. coaching the rugby team but just, just for sprints. Oh. Um, and I was offered a position by the chairman with the brief that we want to play this game with athletes. So I'm coming to you as an athletics coach. Because they wanted to make them more athletic. Know. Yeah, mm. yeah. And it was... Um, what, what sort of year was that? This was 
immediately after the Olympics. Oh, was you're it? in the public eye. So, so everybody knows mm -hmm. you and you're Oh, okay. So um so they wanted rugby uh, to become their team and that's rugby uh, league of course rugby league. in Wigan. Yeah. To be more athletic, probably less time in the pub, was it? Well, it, <laughs> these were the things that were going into counter. Uh, mm. The big boys were fat. <gasps> That's not good, is it? Can't no. go well. And, and and so it's not a television televisual sport. And mm. the coaches, the rugby coaches, tended to accent the skill, the ball skills, the tackling, and. Um, fortunately, the chairman thought that the faster you play the game, the more you have to be an athlete. So let's have a look at an athletics coach oh. and see what he can do with them. Oh, okay. So, uh, so, so again, he was taking a sort of sidestep away. Yeah. Hmm. My presentation to the to the team was was the first day of pre-season with uh, 50 players, the full squad turning up at the athletics ground, 50 players turning up. Well, I've been used to half a dozen athletes. Oh, wow. Um, uh, none of them wanting to do it. Well, no, clearly. No, it's uh, who's, the, who's this fella and uh, why does it, why why has he got us running here? about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and so then from day one, you're trying to sell it. Fortunately, they had a very good captain at the time, Dean Bell, and Dean Bell supported me. And we had a nice little bunch of guys who took on the athletics training and even came and joined the athletes. Martin mm -hmm. Afire came and trained with the athletes. Did he? Because he wanted to be that good. Because he wanted to be, uh, he, he wanted to pursue every possible avenue of keeping his edge. Mm -hmm. And his edge was, he was a very, very fast, <coughs> fast athlete, potentially a sprinter. Uh, mm -hmm. And he came along and, and so we got that kind of support. And eventually everybody took it on board. Success means... They, they, mm. They're winning. Yeah, they're yeah. winning on a, a daily basis. Well, then I was offered the opportunity of uh, the the weight training coach left, and I was oh. offered the opportunity of doing both the sprint training and the weight training. Oh, wow. and weight training had been an integral part of preparing the athletes. Weight training, circuit training. You mean your your athletic athletes? The, the athletic, mm. yeah, yeah. So that the. the the two roles combined made it a full-time position. I was offered a reasonable salary. Mm -hmm. At the time, I was trying to make a living out of farming, and this seemed potentially uh, possible to make oh. a living. Oh, so you were kind of part-time up until then, were you? Oh, yeah, I started out part-time. Ah. And uh, so the two roles, during the summer, the two roles came up, ah, and I fulfilled ah. both roles, which qualified me for a, for a full-time salary, far in excess of anything I could earn. Doing but, uh, trying to raise capital to raise capital. as I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. So um so then you went and you were there full time doing the weight training. We did you do different stuff, you know, did how did how did that compare with what I mean you must it, have had ideas about the, what other teams the, were doing after, or the, the weight training principle that was applied was the same principle as applied to the athletes and it's an element of what we probably call blueprinting. Oh yeah. Where you take the physique, mm -hmm. you take the somatotype and you perfect it in uh, in its own right, not not trying to make everybody oh, into a massive oh, you're see. not gonna be massive muscular, but you can be as strong as you can be as agile as you can be, um, as explosive as you can be, at your body type. Mm. 
because there are distinct, different, distinctly different body types playing different positions mm. in rugby league. Yeah, particularly more so in rugby union. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. So you know, again, tailoring it to the individual is is what you're talking about there. Yeah, and uh, and so your workouts would have been different for the different. No, I guess, no, no. Oh. The trick was in the initial stages to find commonality so that everybody could do the same thing oh. and make the best of it in their own way. Yeah. It did turn around in the end to totally individual programs and and individual weight programs, but initially it. The, the trick was to get everybody doing Up to a certain the same level, program yeah. and getting the best out of it uh, without doing doing separate. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the commonality would be the game. Hmm. The game requires, and quite early, so the athletics modelling led me to modelling the performances of the rugby player. And so then you you developed a model where there was a minimum standard required for an international player, and that's that's the top standard for ten thousand meters, VO two runs of, of five minutes, sprints, agility sprints, single explosive exercise. All these had a, a number put on them, and you were plus or minus on that on those parameters if you were going to play in that position. So. Uh, uh, Oh, forward so would then it was about required to again. run at least 1200 meters in five minutes a, a bike would be required to run nearer 1500 meters in five minutes which is comparable with athletics times oh. um i had the fortunate experience of going to look at uh, american football during uh, the close season i was sent by wigan and we uh Looked there at the, the sprint statistics, um, and they had records going back to the nine, early 1900s of the 40 meter sprint mm. and um, the bench press and all, all mm. the different, all these different parameters. Mm. So there was an international standard, and we applied that to the Wigan players, and they came up at or around the international standard. So the, your key distance being 40 metres was generally accepted across yeah. that fantastic American football game. Mm. Um, and our players had to come up to the standards, which they did. So okay. Martin Afaya was running below 4.2 for 40 metres, and that was comparable with the American football stats. Interesting about the American football stats mm. was some of the guys that played for a, a Washington Redskins had run four flats and four, what, four, four seconds for 40 metres. Oh. I said, well, that's sure, that qualifies you as a, an Olympic athlete. I said, oh, yeah, he was in the um, <laughs> in the relay squad in 19-something-something. Oh. oh, my uh, gosh. So, so, yeah, I mean, there are athletes that do transfer, aren't they, from one to another, one yeah. sport to another. Yeah. But... Um, but yeah, so the, I mean, you know, working with those uh, names that you can't help but know if you've ever been around that particular game. Yeah. And then the I do remember coming to Wembley to watch the Challenge Cup one time when uh, you were fortunate to take home the silverware. That's right. I don't remember when that was though. In I think ninety. 
six. We won every trophy that was available in rugby league, including the World Club Challenge. Oh. Well, there was something in the region of seven trophies on the table. I've got, I've got the photograph on. Oh, yeah, that and, with all those silverware. Yeah, oh, and, yeah. But that was all the junior trophies. So our academy system was, oh. was right at the top. Um, the reserve team, they won everything. And the first team won every available trophy that that year. Um, and subsequently, Wigan became the model for how you prepare a team and the rest of the rugby league has taken it on. And um, what you see as a, as a very entertaining sport without Wigan dominance anymore, which, which was rather spoiling it because we won everything and <laughs> nobody else needs to turn up, really. <laughs> yeah. oh. the, the privilege I've been afforded is that my involvement now is watching um, the boys that I coached and the boys that took on board our training, we trained together, are now international coaches themselves mm -hmm. and applying the standards that were applied to them. So it goes on to the next generation. So I've got Sean Edwards uh, is the uh, backs coach at, uh, sorry, he's the f defensive coach for the French national team, is, yeah. was the Welsh national team. Mm -hmm. And um, Jonathan Clark is the uh, fitness coach for the England rugby union setup. So these guys have moved and taken on the stuff that I've involved them in to the next level. Um, I've also got quite a number of guys from my era who are now coaching their the local town teams. Yeah, yeah. The latest two being Salford and Lee in particular, Richard Marshall at Salford and John Duffy at Lee. They they just qualified as international coaches or uh, first division premiership coaches, and um, they were heavily involved with the athletics type training in their successful careers as players. Mm. So you, uh, so you, yeah, this all this uh, cascade of um, knowledge and um, you know success without a single hardly qualification. I mean, that was the scary bit. <laughs> that was, and I was going, always going to, and, well, and the I'm next sure generation have yeah. all been encouraged to. But you were so busy with an expert. Mm. And, and that's what it seemed to be. I'd like to take the qualification, but I'd have well, to take a step back and stop yeah. doing what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. I'd also have to account for some of my uh, more risky decisions that because there's a great deal of risk involved if you're going to push people to international standard. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, not that I'm suggesting you should have had any, just that... Um, I would have loved it, to. Well, I know what it would have been uh, the, the icing on the cake, I suppose. So, uh, so now, um, in retirement, we, uh, you know, the, uh, the Wigan uh, came to an end. The journey with Wigan came to an end. Uh, sadly, I think, um, you know, sport and politics of sport, oh, it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's, but uh, part of that yeah. part of that decision came a i had a hip problem oh. so i had a replacement hip um and immediately prior to that with the difficulties i was having i was finding that i couldn't join the sessions 
I couldn't run alongside the players in their endurance uh, running. I couldn't um, participate in the gym to the same extent. And I'd spent my whole career Doing at it least able them. to join in. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the peak of my career at Wigan, I would take the apprentices out and run at 7 o'clock in the morning. you then go running with the first team at 10 o'clock. And at seven, 6 or 7 o'clock at night, you would take out the reserve players. So you were actually running with groups three times a day. There were other things going on. But once you can't do that, once you can't be at the front and, and lead by example, then you question your own relevance. Mm, well, um, that, that is a shame. But how old were you then? Uh, late 50s, early 60s. Yeah, it's not I had my new hip it? at 61. Oh, yeah. And I think the year before I was coaching at Fylde and the year before I was finding some sessions where we'd go on the tan dunes and, and play mm. and, and, and on the beach because Fylde is Lytham St. Hans mm. uh, and that's your best training facility that anybody could ever wish for. Running sand. beach and sand. <laughs> if you <laughs> want to get water. tired legs. And seawater. Running the sand. Oh, yeah. yeah. What are you doing in the sea? Re- recovering? Uh, oh, you're running in the ru- sea. Running, resistance in the sea, walking in the sea. A lot of did quite a bit of remedial work for, for people with leg issues uh, going into the sea. Using the sea to cool off, but also using the sea as resistance. Mm. You've got a big, flat, safe beach there, and you can go in and... and, um, I think you might have invented quite a bit of this stuff, you know, because it is uh, all the rage now, cold water, uh, you know... uh, Cryotherapy after after your game. Because they didn't used to get into a hot bath. Oh, yeah, absolutely. After the rugby, yeah, and yeah. now they're all in the hot bath, and yeah. now perhaps they're all no, jumping in a cold bath. It's, all in, it's ice baths now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. That was something that I saw at Washington Redskins. I went to Washington oh, Redskins okay. in 96 uh, to study what they were doing. And after all their major training sessions, sprints or heavy lifting, they would then immerse themselves in an ice bath. They had purpose-built oh. stainless steel ice baths Ooh, with agitators in to stop it uh, Freezing warming. Open. Not oh, to no. stop it warming <laughs> round your skin so that it was constantly oh, I in see. the cold. Oh, my God. Um, you couldn't warm that little bit of water near to you. Right. It got washed away. Oh, gosh. Uh, and, and, but they had all this beautiful purpose-built equipment. And so we came back and uh, we, we, we managed to do the same thing, but with either baths in the old changing room, or wheelie bins, wheelie immersing bin. people in wheelie bins. Nice. With ice. Yeah. And I, a, no expense spared then. <laughs> and it's a, it's a system that is proven to work. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. If you get somebody like Paula Radcliffe taking an ice bath after a long run, then... Uh, you know it works. It, it definitely works. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so then uh, I suppose, yes... The tip replacement uh, heralded the end of you running around with these people alongside them and in front of them. Uh, and so uh, retirement beckoned. And I know that um, you've had back surgery, which has, yep. has kind of not been 100% successful. So you, and I think all those years of running around, lifting weights uh, under the influence of adrenaline. Uh, when you maybe what punching above your body weight, shall we say? Because you've never been that um, big, have you? No, no, no. 
So, uh, yeah, it's taken its toll on your joints and um, the old uh, arthritis has yep. come to stay, hasn't it? I think I'd got to a whinging stage at one stage and uh, so I spoke to you about it. And That's right. Yeah, but the, the maxim that came out of that was use it or lose it. It was. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to lose it. So, <laughs> I was like a red rag to a bull. Yeah. <laughs> so, we found, so we've since been... Using all that athletics knowledge and all that uh, academic mm. intellect principles of training to, a, to apply it yeah. to the things that become important as you come into retirement, you suddenly realize you've got a wife sat at home and turned out she was the perfect training partner. <laughs> so, so, having retired from lots and lots of boys to train with, I now had one. One partner yeah. who turned out to be uh, more than adequate and quite demanding in terms of you've got to do some good stuff. Yeah. If you're going to train me, you better, interested. you better be good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you had to pull it out of the bag one more time. To, so that, the reward was that you got a partnership. Um, you've got a training partner. You've got a partnership. And in the slowing down period of your life, you, you've got somebody – you're – Interreliant, the two of you, you become. My wife says we, we, the two of us together make one good one. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, between the two of you, there's one good one. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> she does say that. So it's yeah, so true. now we've settled on that, yeah, and we yeah. found. Um, I went to the seaside and found that I could still compete, and I went in, got involved with the local club, and went learned to dinghy sail. Um, Subsequent to dinghy sailing, you you, you fancy a bigger boat. Mainly uh, because it gets really hard to be in such yeah. a small dinghy space. A couple of years ago, I dislocated my elbow, and that meant that my dinghy sailing was called into question. Oh yeah, I forgot because that. I couldn't get back in the boat. Mm. Oh, uh, you mean safely. what you mean is when you fell into when the you sea? Well, you do capsize That's if you're it. trying. So then you couldn't climb back yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, so that's going to get in the way. So I haven't so. questioned the fact that, are you really safe out there? No, you're reliant on somebody else. Mm. Okay, let's do something else. Mm. So, so then the bigger boat came along. I, I managed to to get Lorna experienced enough without scaring her off, and we did have one She did say scary. she would never step on board that thing, didn't no, she? No, yeah, well, that, that's me being me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, no giving yeah. up. Well, so yeah, so I'm. I'm. Uh, this weekend, I was uh, very uh, impressed with your uh, interpretation of my suggestion to do and and some guidance to do some stretching. And so, like as is invariably the case, you've taken it and turned it into something that is yours and yours alone. Um, I think I might have said that you, you've just invented yoga, which uh, if only you'd ever watched a video, you might have known. But anyway, that's fine because you have you have added some, you know, bits that are uh, that are not yoga. Um, and uh, yeah, and you're enjoying it, aren't you? And what did you say? You said something about taking it slow, coordinating with the breath. And that um, when you went back to doing some strength training, you hadn't lost any that, This has been the remarkable thing. Lockdown has been a boon to me in that I had to change uh, my training. Um, I was fortunate that I saw one of Philippa's sessions. My grandson put it on oh, our TV for yeah, us. And we did a session in the house, which we've never done before. Yeah. And 
became aware of the principles of slow, controlled exercise, where I spent my whole life trying to punch things and be dynamic and explosive. And suddenly you find your your explosions, it's not there anymore. You're not jumping. So in order to stay, stay safe, you've got to still retain the muscle function Mm. without the access to the explosiveness. Mm. So let's have a look at doing things carefully, Mm. which you've never done. And uh, it's an interesting area. It's somewhere you've never been. Yeah, well, it's good, isn't it, to go somewhere you've never been when you're at 74, nearly 75. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a revelation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But we've always, you stimulate, what do I get up for tomorrow by thinking, oh, right, this is a little bit of a problem. It's going to interfere with uh, waking up tomorrow. Let's uh, make sure we do by uh, mm. doing something about it. Yeah. The, the unfortunate, and it's appreciating some truths. And the truth is, as you get older, you become more reliant on training, more reliant on preparation, and you get a lot less return for it. So <laughs> you've got to do more for less. Yeah. But you can carry on doing what you want to do. When I want to do something, I can do it because I'm Because you train for it, yeah. essentially. Previously, I could spend 10 minutes getting fit and then spend the rest of the day beating myself up. Now you can't do that. Mm. So we've yeah. found uh, a more sedentary uh, pastime, in, although it's, sometimes it's not, in sailing. Um, beautiful places to go fabulous environment the two things that coincide now is when you're doing slow careful breathing exercise type exercises it calms you and it slows you down and you you appreciate that gentle space when you get out there on the boat and things are going right you've got space you've got a beautiful environment and it's gentle you can't rush anywhere because you, you'd have to get off to rush. <laughs> the boat's going at, then, at, at five knots, and that's it. You, yeah, you're going to get there when five knots has spread itself so, out. But, but the other thing is, when it's all going a bit wrong, you need a calm, cool head, don't you? Otherwise... <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah so, so that helps with that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's lovely to hear that you've, you've had this journey of activity, which you have, and you're still on it, and you'll be on it now, you know, forevermore. It's just that it changes, it shifts, and mm-hmm. and uh, but but as you said, it's more important now than ever before, than ever it was before, to, uh, to that you know life insurance policy that you you never actually paid for. <laughs> so so that's what you do. It isn't yeah. it now with that? Sure. Yeah. A little bit of um, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. So you don't know which direction you're going to. There's never been a master plan. Mm. It's all a process of evolution. Um, very, very exciting. Some of it really scary. And uh, a feeling of accomplishment, mm. especially mm. when you watch the next generation yeah and you look at the grandchildren yeah and and their different approaches yeah um one soaking up information and the other 
just totally knowing everything. <laughs> he knows everything already. Yeah. But, and you that's know, fair news. you just got to support it. Well, and I mean, to be honest, what with the internet, you pretty much can know everything that you need, that you want to know, you know, should you, uh, should you sure. wish to Google it. Yeah. Anyway, on that note, I'm going to call time and say thank, you, thank you very much for your time. And I'm sure this is going to generate some interest. Uh, so please let us know uh, if you ever if you ever knew this fellow. Uh, if you if you want to know where he is, let me know. Um, and uh, thank you. Take care. Have a fabulous rest of the um, rest of your lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will, I'll see you on the other side. Thank you very much, Martha. <laughs>